Welcome in primers to this special edition uh, part of our 100th podcast. Uh, we've been advertising this for the past couple weeks now. We've had this um, this guy, this this gentleman who you're out here in an interview with, uh, has been booked for about two weeks now, and if not longer, actually, it might have been two or three weeks that we've we've had this planned, and we kind of kept it under wraps for a little while because we wanted to make sure it was going to happen, and then uh, we got word that how excited he was to be a part of this mm-hmm. and that got us excited, of, of course uh but what you are about to hear is about a 35 34 35 minute long interview with the wonderful mr john yes uh man it was such a good time too i i you know one thing i will say uh there is a dc project or two that we do not bring up that he was a part of that being the human target and we didn't really get a chance to go into the brave and the bold stuff but i think the information that and the stories he shares here were more than make up for the fact that we don't get to cover all the DC world. But uh, he has some of the old stories about the the old version of the Flash from the 90s and the new one were just really kind of phenomenal. And man, what what an incredibly, incredibly nice guy. Yeah. And, and I think he, I, we would have continued longer, uh, but I think he had dinner reservations that he he had to get to. Yeah, and he definitely spent a fair amount of time with us to begin with. So, and it said like he was very interested in maybe coming back again in the future. So, uh, you know, again, this is not closing the book on John. Uh, I, I think we'll, we'll still probably be talking to him again sometime, hopefully in the next year or so. And, uh, but man, this was this was such an amazing experience. Yeah, I mean, he was so nice, so genuine, so uh, generous with his time, uh, the time that he had. And uh, he mentioned how nice of a guy that he was. Uh, something I've done in the numerous interviews we've done throughout the showcast, I got, we did something, John did something that I've never had experienced before. And I didn't find out about it until recently, in that when we were done with our interview, a couple hours later, he noticed that our Skype my my Skype account was still online, uh, and he made it a point to message me and tell me how much fun he had being on with us. I've never gotten that before. Actually, that's like the end of it. I'll get like personal thank yous from reps and you know and agents and things like that, but to get a personal response from John a couple hours later, you, like he probably went to dinner, came home, got on his computer, saw Skype was still up, and decided to send that message. That's yeah. unheard of. That's yeah, un- that's that, that's it means he had he truly probably had a really wonderful time doing this. And uh, when you hear his answers and his stories, you can tell how much he loves the opportunities that he, he's been given to do these things. And even when he's talking about dealing with the old suit from the 90s, uh, there's you can always see if you could imagine seeing his face during this you can guarantee there's a smile behind every one of the responses. Absolutely. Uh, So we had a great time talking to John. As you mentioned, I'm sure we have not closed the book on him. We will have him back again for sure. Uh, But we hope that you guys enjoy this part of our 100th episode uh, celebration. Um, We would love to hear your feedback on the interview afterwards. Uh, Please leave comments in the posting uh, of what you thought. Leave us a voicemail. Let us know what you thought. We'll put the voicemail and the number in the description as well. Uh, But in the meantime, a huge thanks goes out to his rep, JC, for setting this all up with us. Um, Huge thanks, even bigger thanks goes out to John Wesley Ship for even being a part of this celebration. Uh, and of course, Rob, huge thanks goes out to you too because you did a wonderful job with me uh, with me doing this interview. Oh, thank you, man. And you did too. I mean, like I said, I always love listening to the the opportunities that you had with just doing panels and such. And uh, it, it, this was such a, so, such a great way to celebrate 
number 100 together on this was was being able to do this so. absolutely uh so that's that about wraps it up for for that so uh ladies and gentlemen please sit back relax uh and enjoy this interview with uh, with john wesley ship from soap star to speedster our guest has done everything across the entertainment industry board movies voiceover television Projects like NYPD Blue, Batman the Brave and the Bold, and of course, The Flash, both past and present. But what you may not know is he's also an award-winning podcaster, which I know we're going to talk to him about as well. Please welcome the one and only Mr. John Wesley Ship. John, thanks so much for being a part of this. Hi, guys. It's my pleasure. <laughs> Well, I got to say right off the bat, uh, the podcast Powder Burns, I started listening to today and I'm on the final chapter already and I just I'm just itching to finish it. It is amazing. Thank you. Isn't that funny? That's David Gregory, who played my eldest son on a stint I did in 2010, 2012 on One Life to Live. He that was born of his creative boredom. He wanted a project and he thought, well, I've always wanted to do an audio drama in the old West. He said, hey, ship, you want to be a part of it? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And he uh, got assembled this amazing cast and we were able to get Robert Vaughn before he passed away last year. And then our award winning episode uh, was with uh, Ed Asner. Yeah. Which songs yeah. for a broken man. And then we just finished recording our last one for this season, which will drop probably in about a month. Oh, I can't yeah, wait. It's, it's been an amazing experience playing a blind sheriff in the Old West. But that's that's the cool thing about it, because the concept is it's an audio drama. So you see the Old West the way Sheriff Burns does without sight. So it's atmospheric and, and the music is very important. Uh, different episodes have different weather themes. It's, it's a very cool little uh, it turned into something much more than we expected when we started. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it really takes you back to, and it was something I was a fan of back when I was in high school and such. It takes you back really to just old time radio. Yeah, you you know you would just sit and listen to these stories, uh, you know, like The Shadow and Amos and Andy, and like all those great old time radio shows. And it really took me back listening to it too. I I started listening to it the moment you know we found out about it, and I think within a matter of a couple hours, I had knocked out everything that was out there already. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was so hooked on it. It was it was it was great. I can't wait to hear what you guys are going to keep coming up with it now. Oh, great! Yeah, so. it's phenomenal. I, I think that's the beautiful thing about podcasting too is it, it brings back some of these old art forms that kind of slipped away. And you, there's so many amazing radio dramas that are coming back now because of podcasting. So yeah, uh, congratulations to you guys. You know, especially to you. I saw that you won the best performance uh, for the voice uh, voice arts awards for 2017. Yeah. This uh, is Society of Vocal Arts and Sciences. We actually won as a cast, and we won the best uh, performance, best and outstanding storytelling award. I think is how it goes. But but that was uh, not just for me. That was for the entire cast in that production. Oh, that's phenomenal! Well, congratulations to you guys again. So thank you. I um yeah I ran through some of your your accolades as you know when I was doing the intro bringing you in and it's so funny because you know we've been promote ever since we found out we were having you on we've been promoting on social media from Twitter and and Facebook and I, I posted on my own personal Facebook page that we were having you on and of course you know I I list off the Flash because that's what we're fans of and everything else and of course half the people on my Facebook page are like wait a minute that's Dawson's dad. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. 
The 20th anniversary of Dawson's Creek going on the air uh, was was in January. And that's really frightening to me because Dawson's Creek is in the second half of my career. <laughs> the second half of your career started 20 years ago. That's a little daunting. But, you know, it just started uh, streaming on Channel 4 in the UK. I was over in Dublin for Dublin Comic Con last summer. And uh, so many people uh, were uh, recognizing me in Dublin. Then we went over to Galway. We, we took a whole week and drove all around Ireland. And there was a group of Brazilian tourists that were visiting uh, Ireland, and they knew me as uh, Mitch Leary. That's 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 who they recognized. So it's uh, it's funny how these things come back around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I gotta say, you know. Um... As soon as we found out, you know, you were jumping on, you know, just kind of just looking at your IMDb again, and I'm, there was something that jumped out at me immediately, which was the first time I ever saw you as the never-ending story part two. Oh, and yeah. It, it immediately clicked back in my head exactly those moments. So that was a – it's amazing to think of just, you know, just everything you've done because it looks like your career started back in – was it – what was the year when everything kind of started for you? Well, I – my first – I. I count it the end of 1979, probably before you were born. <laughs> and um, it was, I, I'm a relic. I did Showtime's first original movie. It was, oh, wow. it was part of a best of off-Broadway series. They did The Passion of Dracula, Me and My Girl, and Tom Ian's The Dirtiest Show in Town. So I was, of course much to my mother's chagrin, in the dirtiest show in town. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was, uh, you know, really camp. Tom Ian, of course, uh, an icon of uh, New York theater, experimental theater out of La Mama. He also wrote the book to Dream Girls later on. Uh, but yeah, he wrote and directed that. It was a big hit off Broadway. He, off Broadway and then he did that version for Showtime. Right after that, I was cast as Kelly Nelson in January of 1980 um, on Guiding Light. And that sort of marked, it didn't sort of, it marked the end of my having to do anything else other than act to support myself. So I'm in my, like, what is it, 39th year as a professional <laughs> actor. It's uh, pretty freaky, yeah. yeah but you, you know what? 39, 39th year, you're still getting, you know, roles that are still iconic. I mean, obviously, you know, going into The Flash, uh, you know, we want to talk the 90s Flash, obviously. But I just have to say before we do that, it, what a great time to have you on considering you just returned to the, the current Flash with Enter Flash time. Yes. And, and I think Rob and I... You know, we talk about these episodes every week on our podcast, and I think Rob and I were in agreement that that episode, easily within top five, if not top three, favorite episodes of The Flash they have done so Can far. You, it was great, wasn't it? It was it, really great. A couple of things conspired to make that uh, episode effective. Of course, in uh, season three, we, we really spun out. We had... How many Earths did we have? 21, 24 Earths. We had overlapping timelines. We had speedster mania. You know, I mean, we had, we really took it all the way out there. And so I figured what they would do uh, at the end of season three is what they ended up doing, which is bring it back to the core cast, remind everybody the hero's journey in Flash. 2018, well, Flash 2014 is when it went on the air, is Grant Gustin's journey. 
and let's bring it back to the core cast. Let's, you know, not have speedsters running in and out from different Earths, and let's just remind ourselves what this show is about. And I think it was a very wise move. But what that set up was in the audience, it set up uh, an anticipation for a speedster episode. So enter Flash Time, uh, the 15th episode of the fourth season, is really was really the first big speedster episode. And by that time, the audience was really ready for one. And you add to that that we have Sterling Gates, who's come over from DC Comics, who, my God, he knows the Flash inside and out. One thing <laughs> Very true. We saw Jay Garrick as a scientist, really, for the first time. You know, nuclear fission and fusion and all, all those lines that were hell to learn. But, you know... <laughs> It was pretty cool seeing Jay operate uh, on that level. But uh, but the idea that this nuclear blast has been detonated and the speedsters have to go into flash time. They have seconds to figure out a way to prevent it. They can't run forever. You know, they don't have a limitless amount of time. Jay being older has less time. Uh and if they revert to real time, boom, it's over. Game over in seconds. Yeah. So I thought, what a great concept. I wonder how they're going to do it. And they ended up hiring mimes, you know, because it, there were part, parts where, you know, they had uh, policemen, uh, underground security force, and they had to be moving almost imperceptibly. And when Grant would run by or it would do a wide shot, they would have moved just a little bit. And then when the explosion started to happen and started blowing us all back, they had to freeze in these positions. It was ingenious uh, the way they did it. I, I was thinking, what are they going to have us running all the time through the episode? <laughs> but of, course, of course not. We were operating, you know, in what was real time for us and everything else slowed down. I have to tell you, that's one thing from the very beginning that I thought Flash 2014 uh, got right. In 1990, we spent a lot of time trying to come up with ways to uh, illustrate super speed. In other words, what does the flash look like when he's running? What, what is the streak? How do we undercrank the camera? How do we air cannons? How do we? And what this show started off doing almost right away is what does the rest of the world look like to flash? while he's moving in flash time. So, you know, that having that as as a, a concept and then pulling different people in and out of flash time as we were desperately trying to figure out a solution. I just thought, wow, what a great what a great episode to be a part of. I have to say it's one of my it may be my favorite Jay Garrick episode that I've done. Yeah, that, that makes me definitely ask, then, as far as playing Henry Allen, what was your favorite moment on the current iteration? I have to tell you, it's uh, someone said to me the other day, having seen Enter Flash Time, they said, you know, whether it's Henry Allen or Jay Garrick, you and Grant Gustin just seem to connect on uh, 
a level that is uh, deeper than cerebral. And I'd say that's true. And it happened from almost the very first moment. I think part of it has to do that he knew I was the Flash. I knew what his hopes and dreams or had an idea of what his hopes and dreams were as a young actor going into this enormous show because, uh, you know, back in 1990, most expensive show Warner Brothers had ever done. We had a third of the back lot at Warner Brothers. I mean, it was to find myself at the center of that was uh, was pretty exciting. It was pretty heady stuff. So having gone through that, knowing what he some of what he was feeling, having watched him work when he did that episode on Arrow and I realized, oh, this is great. There's no acting. You know, he's just real. And he's one of the most authentic uh, actors, particularly for an actor his age. You know, it's like uh, I haven't ever witnessed a false moment. Pretty much everything he does, he's pretty much telling the truth, you know, and investing him, his whole self in. So from the from the beginning and also. You know, we're both from Norfolk, Virginia. We we're both born in Norfolk. He actually went to the same high school as my mother. <laughs> high school in Norfolk and we we're both born in January and he was born the year I was doing the flash and he told me he used that to psych himself up during the audition process so he was already aware of me I was already aware of him by the time we met and uh and did that great first scene in the pilot which uh and we just established an emotional truthful connection from the first moment and you know there was just there was no acting involved first of all the father-son dynamic what a dynamic what a dream yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. i mean whether it was dawson and his dad or whether it was psycho dad oh (laughs) team wolf yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but uh and they wrote it beautifully every time that father-son see because you know we were limited of course i was in we were pretty much limited to that cubicle we did have what i guess was my favorite scene was when I got shanked and ended up in the infirmary and he's sitting there and I'm reading the newspaper and the flashes on the front of the newspaper. And I'm uh, saying, well, I guess Joe is pretty lucky. Joe was lucky. Mm, lucky Joe. Yeah. He was saved <laughs> by the flash. Uh, and then I say, Oh, I was saved, just saved by the flash. I guess I'm lucky too, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm opening the door to tell him that I know that that he's the that he's the flash and he says dad don't you think if I was the flash I would have told you and I love what Henry does there he doesn't pull his covers he doesn't bust him but he wants to communicate his love for his son so he says yeah 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 I know but I'll tell you what if the flash were my son I would tell him a few things I'd tell him it's a dangerous world, so be careful. I tell him his father loves him and uh, is very, very proud of him. I forget what the exact lines were, but that was that was such uh, a beautiful and heartfelt scene among many. You know. Oh yeah. I was yeah. editing my reel the other day for pulling scenes, and I'm like, God, it's hard to choose because you know, Grant and I we didn't rehearse. You know, we learned our lines. You know, we went through them for camera blocking and a dress rehearsal. And then we just picked up the phone and looked at each other and made a connection and told the truth. 
to the best of our ability. And, uh, and that's the purest form of acting. I have to say, playing Henry Allen, I'm so glad I didn't come in as Jay Garrick. I'm not sure I would have if they had offered me that, because in my head, I'd be thinking, ah, you know, 24 yeah. years ago, I was, I'll be competing with myself and I'll be on stage with the, these 20 year old, 20 somethings. I'm not sure I want to do that, but they brought me in as Henry. When I heard how Jeff Johns had blown up the Allen family, how suddenly Henry Allen was wrongfully convicted of killing Nora in front of a 10 year old Barry, that blew my mind. And I was like, well, if they come to me, that's the role I want. And I'm so glad they did because I will, uh, I'll always cherish being that, serving that purpose, both as a member of the cast and as a character uh, in, uh, in the formulation, you know, in the formative episodes of Grant Gustin's extraordinary portrayal of, uh, of Barry Allen. Yeah. yeah, I know. I, it was something that I was extremely when the show first debuted. Uh, we knew we were getting it. I was extremely excited, having been familiar with you portraying the role in the '90s. Uh, I was extremely excited to see you as as Henry Allen, and even more heartbroken when Henry Allen was killed off. Yeah, on on the show, but to see you return just a couple episodes later, and I think Rob and I, I think Rob, you and I had kind of predicted that it was the doppelganger of Henry Allen that was under the mask. Yeah, we, we actually had uh, – Did you was... really? Because almost – you know, that was also a thing that worked in our favor because everyone thought Zoom. So often they put my face under the Zoom mask and they said Zoom has his eyes. It's Henry Allen. Henry mm -hmm. Allen is Zoom. And then when that turned out not to be true, people were – most people were a little gun-shy about guessing that it was me under the iron mask. So you guys figured it out. That's pretty well, cool. Well, don't get me wrong. This was one of possibly 10 different predictions we made. <laughs> so, you know, but um, me personally, as somebody who didn't, I grew up more on, on Superman and got into The Flash, I guess around the same time that the show had, had aired back in the 90s and, you know, kind of juggled between Superman and The Flash. But I really grew to love going back and rereading old versions, I really grew to love that Silver Age Jay Garrick version of The Flash. So to see you return to the show and don that kettle helmet, I mean, brought me back to, to being a kid again. And I'm so happy that you're still a part of the show portraying that role now. Thank you. Yeah, when I talked to Greg Berlani and he was, I figured... You know, people were saying, you know, get Henry out of jail, get Henry out of jail. I figured once Henry was out of jail, he would have served his purpose. Once uh, Grant Berry was fully assuming his superhero persona, uh, he didn't he no longer needed Henry in quite the same way that he did. So that relationship was either going to change dramatically or Henry was going to be leaving town. But when Greg Berlani spun out the idea that, okay, you're the man in the Iron Mask and you're actually the real Jay Garrick who is Henry Allen's doppelganger and you will die as Henry Allen at the end of the penultimate episode of the season and the beginning of the finale. And then in the course of that episode, you'll come out of the Iron Mask as the real Jay Garrick, Henry. And I was like, ah, oh, man Greg. <laughs> i said take me out of it you know it's like 
that's just amazing, <laughs> which is the role fans wanted me to play to begin with. So I was like, that is amazing channeling of of uh, audience expectation. I was, I said, I'm in awe, you know, <laughs> my hat's off. Of course, I had worked with Greg on Dawson's Creek, mm -hmm. you know, 20 years earlier. So I was very familiar with, uh, with Greg. But yeah, I was like, wow, you guys never cease to amaze me. You know what you have up your sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think one of the things that's kind of just beautiful about the new in incarnation as well is the fact that they're always constantly willing to go back to the 90s series from you know Paul DeMeo and Danny Bilson and pull some amazing actors um, and bring them back into the folds, like Amanda Pays, Alex Dessert, uh, Mark Hamill, you know, Corinne Burr, uh, and then Vito uh, D'Ambrosio, like all making appearances and coming back into the fold was such a beautiful tribute to what came before it. And I think it was it's got to have been amazing for you to have a chance to play off with some of those characters again. And uh, you know, what was that experience like? Did you have to kind of really twist or did you kind of fall into old habits with those people again? It was it, it, the whole idea. Cause you know, over the course of 24 years, you know, the flash went in and out of development a half a dozen times. It was going to be a movie. It was going to be Ryan Reynolds. It was going to be, you know, and, uh, Finally, when they got it made and people said, are you going to be a part of it? I said, well, they could go one of two ways. They may ask me to be a part of it. They may want to separate from everything that's come before and have it stand alone, which I would totally have understood. But the thing that I think makes The Flash so enjoyable and so much fun is Greg Berlani. And I found this out. I didn't know that. Greg Berlani was a, uh, a, a fan of the original effort while I was doing Dawson's Creek. It wasn't until I started shooting The Flash that, you know, David Nutter, Greg Berlani, Andrew Kreisberg, Jeff Johns, they were all young fans of the 1990 Flash. And so they do that. They bring people and instances and like, I think there was a street, something happened the other day at the, at the corner of Bilson and DeMeo. You know what I mean? But they do it not as a gimmick, but they do it because they really loved the first show. And I'll say, I'll say another thing. Those are secure writers. You know, if they, if they feel like they can reach back into what's come before and pull chunks forward and not be threaten not have a chip on their shoulder about oh we got to be or so we got to prove ourselves we got to be something different you know we don't want to be compared with you know that's that's a sign i think of really s secure creators and that's what i always say about those guys you know in 2014 is they were writing a show that they wanted to see you know they weren't producing content for mass consumption. They were writing a show that they wanted to see with adventure and, uh, and, and thrill, you know, thrill rides, special effects and heart. And so I think that, uh, I think an audience picks up on that. You know, audience members know when they're being manipulated and when they're being lied to, you yeah. know, and they also know when I, I think it's infectious. And I mean, I, I remember, when uh, Andrew called me, he's like, boy, have I got a surprise for you. He was so excited to tell me that Mark Hamill was going to be reprising 
his role as the trickster. He was so excited at every story point and turn, as was Greg, as was Jeff, as was David, that you would get excited listening to them tell you what they had in mind because they were genuinely having a blast and loving what they're what they were doing and i think that's that's a big secret of course mark and i he had just come from the set of uh, star wars and we were in the car going back to the hotel after shooting one night and he said you know it's really extraordinary position to be in to be asked to come back and revisit a project a quarter of a century later, you know, and to contribute in a meaningful way, not a token way, but in a meaningful way in handing it off to the next generation, which he had just done with Star Wars, which, you know, he and I were doing with Flash. So it's uh, it's been great. You know, I, I, I kind of had wished that the flirtation with Henry and Tina could have uh, maybe blossomed a little bit more. But who knows? She may come back as some other character on Earth 3. You never know. Yeah. I also the, want to the... see Megan Lockhart. I want to see Joyce Heiser. I'm, I'm hoping for Joyce Heiser to show up. <laughs> well, I think everybody's big hopes right now is, you know, as what just happened in this last episode in uh, you know enter flash time was the idea of jay getting ready to kind of retire and i think everybody's big hope is before that becomes a possibility that we see uh jay and barry against the trickster family uh between you know alex walker you know james jesse and uh and zoe clark because i think that would just be such a beautiful moment to see all of that kind of culminate and see you know jay in full force throughout the episode uh, against this variation because we've obviously seen a quick moment with uh, that Earth 3 uh, version of Trickster that, you know, Mark did that was his kind of t- like twist on the Conrad beat version from The Man Who yes. Laughs. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Which <laughs> yeah, was, you know, uh, it's, we've been going back and forth on the internet because people were saying, wouldn't it be good? Because now that Corinne's there and Devin's there, Mark wants to come back you know, to have that family, you know, it's like uh, with Corinne Bora as the mother and Mark Hamill as the father and Devin as, as, as the young trickster son. And to have a showdown on Earth 3. And I said, yeah, and we should call it Trickster Family Values. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it could be a lot of fun. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. That would be absolutely fantastic. Um, I know we're, we're running short on time with you, but I, one of the things I wanted to question about was obviously between you know the '90s version from from when you did it back then to now, uh, you know not just the the production style has changed and the production quality has changed, but the costumes have changed as well. Yeah, and. <laughs> and I got to hear you do a panel. At, I, first off, I, I had to say I got to meet the opportunity to meet you very quickly at Great Philadelphia Comic Con last year. Oh, great! Uh, and you were super nice. I know you have a, um, a, another appearance coming up at a con that we'll make sure to mention before we we leave. And I encourage any of our listeners that get the chance to go to go and meet you because you're you're such a nice, welcoming person. Oh, thanks. Um, but you did tell a great story about the differences what it was like wearing that costume back in the nineties compared to what it's like now with like the Jay, the Jay Garrett costume and the costume that Grant has to wear. Yeah. Yeah. I won't, I can't compare it to Grant's costume because you know, it's Grant's, you know, he still has the cowl and the thing that makes these suits hot 
is when your head's covered because of course you lose 40 percent of your body heat through your head um mm -hmm. but yeah that suit you know they wanted it to be lightweight they wanted it to be hyper musculature because that was 1990 and you know post uh pumping iron hangover you know and uh, <laughs> everything had baseball players jose could say every everybody everybody had to be bigger than bigger than Life. Yeah, ex especially superheroes had to be muscular. That was like the form back then. Right, but they didn't want it to be hard like it couldn't be hard like the Batman suit. So they they really came up with this ingenious. I mean, it looked great until I started sweating so much through it that it was crumbling by about the third episode. Yeah, they spent $100,000 to build four suits in 1990 and they were individually sculpted foam latex muscle pieces glued over a spandex suit and then flocked with a red material. They put like an electromagnetic charge through it so that somehow all that, give it that fuzzy furry look. And then I was sweating through it. I thought it looked cool. It looked like the muscles were sweating, you know, but they said, no, 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 that's not, that's not in the comic book. So they, they had a solution. They sprayed it with a sealant. So it all stayed inside. Oh. <laughs> I, I was the sponge, you know, they would, they would pull my glove off and it would be full of water up to the wrist. And they just dumped the sweat out. I had to have a, uh, cooling unit like race car drivers where they'd plug me into an ice chest in between scenes and I couldn't sit down in it either because it would crease and all the sweat and they couldn't clean it. They I had the four suits, two for me, two for the stuntman. They'd I'd take it off, it'd be wringing wet, they'd spray it with Lysol and hang it in my trailer and it would still, oh, still be wet and sticky when I put it on the you know. Also they had to glue it to my face, under my chin, my nose, it was, it was, the cow was glued, and then they take that off, you know, and then they put makeup on or whatever for Barry, and then they take the makeup off, and then they glue the thing back, so, I mean, there were challenges, nobody, I always interrupt myself at this point and say, nobody wants to hear someone who's been given the gift of portraying these characters whether it's batman or superman or flash you know nobody wants to hear us whine about you know, <laughs> how difficult it is to work in the suit having said that you know it does present its own set of challenges and it certainly did back then all right now we flash forward now we have uh an undersuit with an increased musculature and leather shell that we can take off. Grant's cowl no longer has to be glued to his face. It did at the beginning, but it no longer has to be glued to his face. And it's separate and it can be removed. You know, uh, yeah. the undersuit can be washed, which makes it a much more pleasant experience <laughs> for everyone concerned. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah. No more investing in Lysol. No, 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 no. See, my back totally broke out. You know, it was all broken out. I was raw from the glue and the... It was like, you know, they thought at one point, Danny said they considered getting me a psychologist because they thought I had this psychological aversion to being in a superhero suit. And I'm like, Danny, it's not a psychological issue. It was just physically, uh, physically very challenging. Plus... 
we didn't have CGI to the extent that they do now. So as I heard Danny say in an interview, he said, you know, you know, if we wanted to blow up a semi full of cars and shoot flames 35 feet in the air, we had to really do it, you know. So it took forever. We were our episodes took nine days, two units running simultaneously to get an hour of television. Um, I think flash time. They had some additional second unit stuff, but I believe we shot that in seven days. That's almost inconceivable to me because it was such a a complex episode. But that's the degree to which, well, we, one would hope in a quarter of a century there would be, you know, technological advancements that would make telling these stories uh, a little more possible. But, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's uh, yeah, it's a different animal now. But, oh, my God, the hours all night long. And, and, you know, we would be tenting in the back lot of Warner Brothers to shoot night for day. And we'd be going home when the executives were coming to work. And they would look at us and shake their heads and say, you guys, you're out of your minds, you know. And uh, but it was uh, I'm certainly glad I did it. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I tell you, at the last scene mark hamill and trial of the trickster i ripped the wings off and threw them in the air and i swore i would never get into another suit <laughs> well kind of speaking of that suit it's kind of awesome though too because that just got immortalized too uh mattel is now doing a, a figure of that 1990 suit in uh, the dc world's greatest multiverse line how which, about that yeah and that's got to be amazing for you it's freaky it's like at my age it's like, oh, my God, I'm an action. I think I even went to an audition, had nothing to do with The Flash. And I was and I said, oh, and I've got to tell you, I'm an action figure. <laughs> they were like, I said, I can't. it blows my mind. Of course, they were looking at each other like, OK, maybe <laughs> let's just get this actor out of the room. He's a little unbalanced. But, um, yeah, it's 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 pretty trippy. <laughs> that's that's amazing uh but john we know we know you got to go uh, you got plans that you have to you have to head to um i want to real quick mention uh your appearance you've got coming up you're going to be at steel city comic-con april 13th through the 15th in monroeville pa uh again i encourage anybody who has the opportunity to go go up to your table and meet you get a picture it, you're you're such a wonderful guy to meet in person and you've become even more idolized in our eyes just for doing this and being a part of this thank you oh, so much for being a part of this i want to congratulate you you know on your 100 that's that's awesome and i'm uh, i'm i'm very uh, i'm grateful to have been included in your celebration well thank yeah, you very very grateful uh we'll let you go but john thank you again uh for for being a part of this Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Rob. Absolutely. And thank you so much for continuing to bring more humor, heart, and spectacle to the world of The Flash. Thank you so much. <laughs>